the Bible Study Podcast, episode 600. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the Gospel of Mark with chapter 10. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We will at least start the chapter chapter 10 of Mark today, but I did want to at least acknowledge 600 episodes of the Bible Study Podcast. I certainly couldn't have imagined this when I started this podcast oh so many years ago, and I honestly don't know how many, but it's over 10. But I thank you for listening, and I will plan on continuing to make these at least for a while. Mark chapter 10, Divorce. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This has been a difficult verse for a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people who are divorced or considering divorce, and it has been a contentious verse among churches. But it's very clear that God doesn't desire that we get married and then get divorced. It really encourages us to consider marriage carefully and to consider that when we're making those promises before God that we're really intending to keep them. And so we should just be very clear here that God doesn't like divorce. God's That is not God's plan. That being said, what do you do with these verses, and and what do you do if you're divorced? Now, we have to put this in some context here, too. The verses that Jesus is saying when he says, at the beginning of creation, God made the male and female, these may sound familiar. They are said at a lot of marriages, and they are coming from the Old Testament law. And so he is literally quoting what it was said in the Old Testament law about marriage. Marriage is very important to God, and Marriage is very important in the church as a model for God and his church, for Jesus and the church. And so our marriages are meant to be more than just a social contract between husband and wife. But remember that Jesus also says at some point, if a man were to look at a woman with lust in his eyes, he also commits adultery. So the question here is, what then? Uh, Is there forgiveness, and is there forgiveness for someone who is divorced and remarried? And that is a place where the church has disagreed. The Roman Catholic Church, for instance, has said at that point that because it is adultery, which the Bible says it is, that it is not something you can stay in. And a lot of the more Protestant churches have said, yes, it is sin, yes, it is adultery, but we are forgiven, we are imperfect people, and God knows that we screwed up, and that's why he sent Jesus, that we cannot get to heaven by what we do. 
and therefore God forgives our sins, including this sin of divorce. So it is something that I think you need to talk to your pastor or your priest about if you're considering divorce. My understanding is that it is not God's intention that we divorce, and yet there are friends that I imagine if they're in an abusive situation, I would advise them to leave and potentially to get divorced. And we've certainly had friends who have divorced, and I thought it was the right thing for them to do. But I do want to be clear that it is not God's intention. And the big thing I think we want to think here is then, before we make that commitment, what? What are we going to do? Are we going to recognize this as a promise we made before God? Oh, and I do want to also mention that in divorce, you'll notice that when we were talking about the Old Testament law, we were only talking about the man. And it was really a very patriarchal society, and the fact that a man could literally give his wife a certificate of divorce because she burned dinner, or for no particular reason at all. And so that was one of the concerns of Jesus and also of the early church with divorce is that we had devalued marriage. And so we have to put this in the context of God values marriage. Your marriage, whether it's broken or whether it's well, he values marriage and that commitment. And so we shouldn't go into it lightly. The little children and Jesus. The people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them." We need to understand that in a lot of societies, especially societies where kids were not going to live necessarily to adulthood, uh, where there wasn't TV and birthday parties and all the things that we think of in terms of childhood, there wasn't mandatory education and things, children could easily be seen as less of value. For one thing, there was only a 50% chance they'd make it to adulthood. There was only a 50% chance that they'd make it to the point where they would contribute to the family in a monetary fashion. And so it is hard for us when we look back at this sort of society and look back at the disciples. It's, you know, I feel like, oh my gosh, how can you do this, you disciples? And yet, I want to put this in perspective because my parents went to a church in Ashtabula, Ohio. And I don't know if you've been to Ashtabula. They went to a Lutheran church there. They visited one day with my brother, who was two years old and was learning to talk. He was very good at it. He was not particularly good at knowing when or when it was not appropriate to talk. And so he was, during the service, apparently a little disruptive. He was saying hello to people near him. That day, the pastor was preaching on this verse And after preaching on this verse, he announced that in the future, please leave your children in the nursery. And my parents never went to to that church again. When we welcome children these days, we're also welcoming the parents and we're also welcoming the whole family. And kids can be disruptive, but Jesus loves them. (laughs) And I think that's really important for us to know. And it was important for the disciples to know this. 
that Jesus really loves kids, that God really loves kids. And remember when we were talking about that terrible, terrible sin that the people of Israel were doing in the Old Testament, where they were practicing child sacrifice and how God was really, really, really angry at that. Because God loves everyone, but God particularly loves those who are powerless, those who need protection, and God loves kids. And so it's something that isn't just a cute story for Sunday school. It's something for us to remember in our daily practices and in our worship services, especially if anybody is listening from Ashtabula, Ohio. We're going to split this chapter, so I'm going to end with this story. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony. And you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first." This may not seem that strange to us because we have heard it before, at least many of us have heard it before, but it would be very strange to the people who are hearing it at the time. You'll notice they react with, oh my gosh, if rich people can't get in, then who can? Their expectation is that someone who is rich, it would be easier for them to get in the kingdom of heaven. And if you think that sounds strange, remember, go back to Job, the book of Job. When Job, everything goes wrong, his friends sit around him and say, well, what did you do wrong that God is punishing you, basically? If you were good, you would prosper, and if you were bad, you would be punished. And we think that is true eventually, and yet we know that the good suffer and the bad prosper sometimes. And so, Even though we know that, I think we sometimes think this same thing, that if bad things are happening, maybe I did something wrong, or that if I am good, I will prosper financially, and maybe you will. But (laughs) think of Peter, for instance, who speaks up and says, we left everything. Peter, I think, will find a place in the kingdom of God. Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, has a fairly important role, even though he says a lot of things that don't make as much sense. And yet, 
he did not find financial wealth by being a Christian. It's interesting that Jesus says, but he will in this present age find homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And I do think that he's not just saying pie in the sky when you die, but that there is a richness and riches that come from being part of the people of God. But then there's this rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler who says, very earnestly, we believe, what do I need to do? And Jesus first says, you know, why do you call me good? No one but God is good. But then he says, here are the commandments, and he names one, two, three, four, five, six commandments. He does not name all the commandments. You know what commandments he doesn't name? He doesn't name, I am the Lord your God, you will have no other gods ahead of me. And he doesn't name any of the commandments that have to do with coveting that have to do with material things about not wanting what your neighbor has or not wanting your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's manservant or his maidservant or any of those sort of things. And we think that the reason why he left those out is those may be where this young man had a problem, both with the stuff things, the wanting and the desiring and the the jealousy if somebody else had it, but also that other one that you will have no other gods before me. Elsewhere we learn you can't serve both God and money. One thing has to be number one in your life. Now, Jesus didn't look at everyone and say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But he did look at this young man and say, sell everything you have and give to the poor. So we can neither say he told everyone to be poor, nor can we say that that might not be what he would tell us. It has to do with what's most important, I think. What is most important in our lives? Where is our treasure? And he says, sell what you have, give to the poor, and your treasure will be in heaven. There definitely have been people who took this very, very literally. If we think of St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, comes from St. Nicholas, but St. Nicholas was a real person, a bishop of Myrna, who was born wealthy and died poor, and gave everything he had to the poor. Those stories we get of Nicholas coming into houses down chimneys come from the original story. There's a man who is in debt, and he's afraid he's going to have to sell his daughters into slavery to pay off this debt. And he hears something being thrown into his window and sees somebody outside in the dark and chases after this young man and knocks him down, is about to beat him up when his daughters come running from the house and say, don't do it. What he threw into the house was a little small sack of gold. Now the man is confused because he says, what are you doing? And he says, I heard that you were going to have to sell your daughters and we can't can't have that. I, I didn't want that to happen. And so I wanted to pay off that debt. He says, why didn't you tell me? And he says, well, the Bible says when you do good things, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do them in secret. He wasn't doing this so that the man would think better of him. He wasn't doing this so that the community would think better of him. He was doing this because it needed to be done and thought God would think better of him. That's the opposite of this young man. And so this young man goes away sad. And I like the fact that when Jesus looks at him, he loves him. He doesn't tell him this to be mean. He tells him this because he will have greater treasure if all the money wasn't in his way. 
and there's debate about you know when Jesus says camels through eyes of needle. Well, some people say well sometimes the city gates are called the eyes of the needle. It doesn't matter. When the disciples heard this, they said, "How can this be? This sounds impossible." So they understood that Jesus was perhaps referencing the eye of the needle of the city gates, but really talking about it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to not let all of that stuff get in the way of our relationship with God. And with that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.